sign who is Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move when the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Welcome to Adventist Voices Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I am honored to be talking with my good friend, Dr. Benjamin Baker, who teaches history, religion, and writing, and has op- been operating BlackSDAHistory.org for over a decade. Uh, welcome and congratulations. Thank you for having me, Alex. It's a pleasure. Well, I always like chopping it up with you on a variety of topics and reading all the incredible work you do as a historian. You have just published an incredible recording of Martin Luther King talking at Oakwood, then college, now university in 1962. How did this come into your possession? That recording, sometimes when you see something on the internet, you can never know everything that went behind getting it up there. Yeah. And this recording is one of those things. There has always, there, there have been episodes, events in history that have happened. And ever after, this is a sort of weird phenomenon, ever after there's an air of mystery about them. Even though they were done in broad daylight, it was reported in the newspaper, what have you. It was even recorded. But there's a little bit of air of mystery. And when you would talk to Oakwood students, I, I think in decades after King's speech, his, he spoke on March 19, 1962. When you would talk to them after about it, there was a bit of mystery about it. Like King spoke at Oakwood and, and it was like, a you know, but the recording was really not extant. No one had heard it. Obviously, people were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pictures, there aren't really good pictures of it that I know of. And I always use opportunities like this to say, anyone listening, if you have some, <laughs> share. I mean, you know, you know, help us out if you're like, oh, he's wrong. I have some right here. Please digitize it and send it to me. Uh, but this was one of those things. And there was only one recording that I kn- that I knew of. And it wasn't with Oakwood University Archives. It was with Dr. Mervyn Warren. Mm. And Dr. Mervyn Warren is a longtime Oakwood, he's a legend, longtime Oakwood administrator, uh, educator, and just really, really pillar of that community and, and Black theologian. He's actually written a book on King called King Came Preaching. Mm. And his dissertation was on King's preaching style. And so he's a he's a he's a very deep uh, King scholar, and he was there in 1962. In fact, I think he was he was already a professor there at, at Oakwood in 1962. And I hope that I'm not dating him, but there's no way around. It. <laughs> that was what 16 years ago, whatever. There's no way around yeah. dating Dr. Warren. Um, but they said that you know getting old is only a problem when you're getting old, when you're already old, it's, it's, it's fine. So I'm sure that Dr. Dr. Warren would smile at me saying this. Uh, Age is just a number. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. And so Dr. Warren, I think, was a, a, a bit proprietary, and, and I love Dr. Warren, that's why mm. I'm smiling. I think that he was a bit proprietary of the recording. 
uh, because it was hot stuff. And so on spots that he would do on the radio and uh, on television, there were a couple of new spots about it. He would play the recording. And I always listened to it like, hey, that's the recording. You know, Dr. Warren, can we please make this available on the Internet? And, you know, Dr. Warren, you know, in his in his inimitable way, would kind of nicely shine me on and say, let's 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 talk about it. You know, let's 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 see about it. Uh, finally, he was kind enough to make the recording available and we digitized it. Actually, the people, at, uh, the, the good people at the Center for Adventist Research digitized it and uh, we put it up on YouTube. You, you know, after a while, um, Alex, the story just gets really basic. Yeah. Like, you know, we uploaded it to YouTube from there. You know, there's not much more to that. But now it's available to everybody. Yeah. And also on the BlackSDAHistory.org YouTube site, we have some of the new spots that were done. So you can hear yeah. Dr. Warren talk about the recording. You can hear Dr. Timothy McDonald, who was also there, uh, talk about it. I can tell you a little bit about about the occasion. It's sorry. I, I wanted to jump in there on that before you uh, provide some important context. As I was listening to it, of course, it's always great to hear King's cadences and his message is really uh, it, so beautiful about how he's talking about that mutual fabric of being. What I really liked about it, in addition to, you know, he's he's made those points before, was hearing 2000 Adventists cheering that speech on. I think that was uh, meaningful to me, thinking about the audience, thinking about those young, many future leaders in the church, hearing that, not hearing it from Adventist leaders in a pulpit um, outside of, you know, the African-American experience. Um, but hearing this from uh, a Baptist and someone uh, who had been invited to come there and was not really going to other Adventist campuses. So that kind of context was fascinating to me. Uh, give me give me more about the background. Ah, yeah, definitely. And I, I would even add some irony to your statement. And that is that Oakwood students were discouraged, strongly discouraged mm. from engaging in sit-ins. Mm. And really, when you hear that Adventists were prohibited by their ministers, as much as ministers can prohibit Adventists from doing something, yeah. uh, but really at schools where there could be penalties attached to you. Alex, this was going back to the early 1960s. King was controversial. This was before he had a holiday. <laughs> he was controversial. And I mean, I mean, you know, the the occasion for the writing of the letter from the Birmingham jail is that what seven Christian ministers and a Jewish rabbi had written in the Birmingham newspaper. Now was not the time to do it. Yeah, this is not the time. And it was seen as radical. And it was seen as disruptive. And I'm afraid to say that Adventists largely held this view. Mm -hmm. And so we need to look at our schools also as political institutions. So I think a lot of the reasons why Oakwood students were discouraged from engaging in, in protests and things like that were because it was a political thing. 
You know, we, yeah. we want to keep race relations going well in Huntsville. It was a progressive city for the Deep South. But at the same time, segregation was still legal and enforced in Huntsville when King came there. And so I think one of the irony, and Dr. Timothy McDonald brings this out, is that Oakwood students were discouraged from engaging in sit-ins. And then they invited King. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and King spoke there. And yeah. so this is a little bit of the, the long process of the institutionalization of King also. Now, perhaps it's a little more than you wanted. Um, but but bring, know, just, me, just, bring me all the history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just comple <laughs> complexifying it a bit. He wasn't the king we know now yeah, in, yeah. In, in 1962. So this was a controversial piece for Oakwood to do. In fact, it's said that nowhere else in Huntsville would have him. That's not mm. correct because he spoke at two other venues before yeah. he spoke at Oakwood. The thing was they needed a large, a large venue. Mm -hmm. And so the Oakwood College Gymnasium was that. Mm -hmm. And so the other large venues in Huntsville wouldn't have him. But Oakwood College did. He spoke at the Oakwood College Gymnasium, which, which is, is, is still up. And they say that 2000 is a low number. It was reported that 2000 were there, but some reports say 2000 plus. Uh, Tim McDonald says somewhere like 2,000 to 3,000 because, you know, there was a spillover. Everybody wanted to come here, King. And so, yes, he, he was there. He spoke. Uh, he, he didn't reference Oakwood or Adventist much in the speech. For those of you who haven't heard it, he does give a shout out to the president, Garland Millette, at the beginning. Yeah. And... He, he speaks directly to Oakwood, spe uh, Oakwood students during the speech, and he gives them sort of his, his, um, his advice to be global, which, mm -hmm. I, think, which I think was actually far-seeing. Uh, a, a lot of these visionaries anticipated a globalized society, and one in which you know that everything you do will not only affect you and those around you, but it will have a ripple effect. And of course, this, mm -hmm. is, this is best best seen in the example of Mahatma Gandhi, who King got a, 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 you know, his example from, some of his, some of his uh, tactics from. And he also told them uh, in, in, in what would become a mainstay in his speeches, whatever you do, be the best at it, not just the best yeah. Negro lawyer, be the best lawyer. And in a bit of, I, I, I think he would kind of joke about this because people always laugh when he said it, be the best sweet, uh, street sweeper and such a street sweeper that the angels would say there's never been a better street sweeper. So he, he was big, sort of like a, you know, a, a Washington, Booker T. Washington, Washingtonian kind of ethos uh, to, his, to his message. He didn't, it, it said that Mahalia Jackson told him, tell him about the dream, Martin, um, on the March on Washington speech. I don't think he was doing that yet, Alex. I have a dream, but he did do, you know, um, we shall overcome. And, and he did make some references to Huntsville. He mentioned that Alabama was one of the last three states to desegregate. Mm -hmm. 
And, and so, you know, he was sort of stepping on some toes there, but he got he got some clapping because obviously his crowd was pro uh, desegregation. So th- those were some of the unique elements, I think, in a speech that he had been giving uh, many times uh, all over the nation. He's also his comic timing is fantastic. And he in addition to those great um humanist thinkers you mentioned he also mentions bob hope or retells a bob hope joke that uh brings the crowd down as well so i and it's in it's actually in in the context of talking about a very consciousness raising idea the way that he, that human society has changed and that it's making us a neighborhood as a globe and then he just beautifully spins that to now we need to become a brotherhood Definitely, definitely. And, and our, our moral development needs to better match our technological development. And, and you were right. You know, King, King is lauded as, I think rightly, as one of the greatest orators in American history. And everything was calculated, especially a speech like this, which he had given many times. And, and I think that mixing the comedy in Took a dreadfully serious subject, Alex. People, I think that people have lost sight of the civil rights movement because just during that time, they were making the very grave decision of having little kids participate in the marches. And so these little kids were putting their lives on the line. Mm. And they were having to sell this to parents. You know, that your little kid could potentially be hosed, you know, against the wall, dogs sicked on them. I mean, you've seen the famous pictures. Yeah. And King is talking in the speech like, you can beat us, you can kill us, but we're still going to love you. Yeah. This is, I, this is insane talk, uh, Alex. And I, I mean, really, and there's been a, there's been a backlash against this sort of thing in, in, on black Twitter, let's say. Uh, with the death of um, John Lewis, oh, yeah. they're like the good trouble phase is done. We don't want any of you. you you've seen the shirts. I'm not my ancestors. You, you know, you're not mm-hmm. gonna. I, I have hands or I have guns mm-hmm. or whatever. Sure. And so there's sure. been a backlash against this sort of thing. Of course, there was then too. Yeah. There was there was an element that said no nonviolence, and mm-hmm. so this sort of even back then you had some literature that were saying that blacks were the best sort of Christians and blacks were the most like Christ because who else was saying this? Who else was saying you're going to beat us and we're going to suffer and we're going to love you to change? Like, like what, what is this? And so I think it was a shrewd rhetorical move for him to mix that, that humor in with these really, you know, heavy and weighty things. Yeah. Well, um, it's just one of many videos that you publish. And can you just talk a little bit about those early days of creating this website slash ministry slash incredible historical record? Uh, yes, definitely. Alex, you know, back then there were there were no cars and we had to <laughs> heat our houses <laughs> with, 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 with wood. No, I was working on my dissertation on Ellen White and Black people at at Howard University. And I was just finding so much information that I wanted to share. And one of the 
I think the inherent problems about a dissertation and why people who are spouses of those who are doing their dissertations or who are friends of those who are doing, it just get talked out of the building because people who do dissertations don't have that many chances to share, I think, what, what they're doing, what they're writing. So, you know, whenever you ask someone how their dissertation is going, you get an air, earful. Yeah. So I actually wanted to share, share what I was learning with my dissertation and all of these things. So I was compiling a lot and all because, you know, whenever you, you, know, you do research, it just opens up so many doors into other types of research. So I wanted to share yeah. what I was learning all of the PDFs, all the facts, all the info. So I started a website to just sort of put what I was learning and the resources that I was accessing. And it grew up from there. I have, I have no, no training in, in web design or anything like that. And I think, you know, the first nine years of the website, it showed, <laughs> um, but actually older people liked it because it was really basic. And there were really no bells and whistles because a lot of people really don't want you know, stuff yeah. bouncing ac across the screen unless they're going to buy something. And so, um, you know, because they want to see, you know, this product's up to date and all that stuff and they, they, they know how to operate. And so I, I didn't have the, so I was doing the website and it just steadily grew. And, uh, you know, there was a section on fast facts, PDFs, free books. Uh, black Adventists and, and famous people, famous Black Adventists. There was an Oakwood section, a Breath of Life section, a section on schools, obituaries, mm -hmm. all of these things. And it just grew and grew and grew until I also decided to start a YouTube channel. I think I started the YouTube channel a year after I had started the website. And I said, let's, let's, you know, you, you, you start thinking bigger. Let's start appealing to people who like watching videos. Like you can look at the, the specs on my YouTube channel. When people watch it most, it's the Sabbath. You know, people want to watch it on the Sabbath. You know, like we can't do anything else. So let's watch videos. Like, you know, so let's appeal to those people. Let's 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 hit on all cylinders. So I started trying to find any video that pertained to uh, black Adventist history, you know, get permissions, upload it. Uh, the YouTube channel was never monetized, Alex, because, and this is for, for creators, because you have a lot of creators who listen to you. The YouTube channel was never monetized because early on, it really wasn't my own content. Some of it was, but even like if I did a spot on Hope Channel or 3ABN, I was using that. So that's not mine. And so sure. it's never been monetized. Um, and in fact, I've never really made any money from it. I just put a donate button up once again for your creators. Uh, don't, don't, don't do things like I did. I would say get money from the very beginning because money's always good. As the Bible yeah. says, money answers all things. If anything, it would just help you to not become bitter and feel like you're in it alone. You know, yeah. just try to get some money, but I just put a donate button up in Feb this February so people can now donate. But it's, it's a part of, I think, a greater wave to contextualize it of making Adventist history known and popular. Check this out, Alex. The GC archives put all that material up. Like, I think 2004, uh, then you have the Adventist Digital Library, which is supposed to be a clearinghouse of all the sources on Adventist history. You have Loma Linda making a lot of archival stuff available. 
You have uh, the Encyclopedia of Seventh-day Adventists, the church's first online reference work, the Center for Adventist Research. You have the Encyclopedia of Seventh-day Adventists, which is the church's first reference work. Yeah. And so there's a wider thing. I think that this whole thing grew up with the internet to make Adventist history available on the web. And so that's simply what I was trying to do with Black SDA history. Well, thanks for doing that. You not only pioneered um, mixing Adventist history and some really important discussions about identity uh, in there, but you are not afraid of controversy. You've got a really important video there on Ellen White's statements regarding reparations. Um, let's get into a controversial topic today. Critical race theory is out there. Um, lots of uh, very uh, conservative folks are worried that their children will become indoctrinated by this idea. Um, ad, some Adventists teach the idea in our schools, and uh, certainly it is a legal theory, so there are Adventist lawyers who are familiar with it. Um, what, uh, what is it, and should people uh, think that this is a sign of the end times? <laughs> well, one thing, one thing about it, and, and, and I don't want to betray or act like I'm ignorant when I'm not, because I, I definitely know, as you pointed out, that it comes from legal studies. But I, there's nothing about critical race theory that's a theory to me, Alex. <laughs> I mean, nothing, <laughs> nothing is theoretical about it. No, I mean, really, I, I mean, it's almost, it's almost offensive when people call it a theory. And, and I know Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, Kendi, you know, you name it. I, I mean, I, I know all of, the, all of the writers on it. And I do not see this as a theory. And, and I have a problem with, with, with saying that, with them, with them calling it that. And I think that they are trying to systematize it mm -hmm. in, in, in a way maybe that is new to some people and to even draw greater conclusions and applications than before. So I think that for many people, that's a theoretical aspect of it. And there, I guess there is, there is also some theory to it because when you're a black man and you get pulled over by a police officer, a white police officer, you can theorize the encounter and say that he will probably be racist toward me because he's yeah, yeah. white, he's a police officer, there's a power differential because of what's been happening. You know, so you could theorize that when in actuality, actual racism has not happened. Okay. Now, other than that, though, um, I think that critical race theory has always been taught as history. Okay. If you just know American history and you've been able and, and you've taught American history with integrity. Okay. Let's take, for instance, the recent Juneteenth, let's go even before that to the Tulsa race riots. Yeah. Okay. Alex, nothing theoretical. Okay. If we know what happened in Tulsa, you know, it happened on a, on, on a trumped up false charge, uh, a sexuality aspect, which was often present in these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And then just outright decimation. Of course, blacks were fighting back, but they didn't have the, the numbers, the technology. And it was just, it just became a massacre. Okay. Yeah. 
uh, Juneteenth, we could also talk about that. Now, this is faithfully rendering history. Okay. Now, to answer the part of, uh, of, of your, and, and we could also talk, Alex, about what critical race theory, I, I think the part of theory that people are focusing on, and I'll give you two aspects of the part of it that they call theoretical. Number one, that racism is, in, is intractable, is intractable. And Afro-pessimism has really picked up on this big time. But critical mm -hmm. race theory says that it will not be overcome, essentially, and that America will always have a problem with racism and that whites will always be racist toward blacks, okay? That's mm -hmm. the theory of it. And you can say that that's theoretical because that's not a fact. Okay, we don't know what will happen in the future and we don't know if whites will always be racist toward blacks. That is extrapolated with things like Robin D'Angelo. Uh, and before Robin D'Angelo, I, I think that, um, come on, Alex, who was the woman, the white woman who did the experiment about just different eye colors um, with elementary school oh, students? Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I can't think yeah, of her yeah, name. Her name escapes me. Tim Wise, people like this, um, they were always saying this sort of, this sort of thing. But now mm -hmm. I think that Robin D'Angelo, because many times whites only want to hear something from whites and they only believe mm -hmm. when a white person says, it. okay. So Robin D'Angelo comes along, she talks about white privilege. And mm -hmm. so critical race theory has now become in many ways monopolized by that notion. Okay, it's this broad theory, Alex, and they're taking Robin D'Angelo stuff and they're saying, okay, we can get elementary school students, get them young, take white elementary school students and say, you are benefiting from white privilege and you are racist. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I see a lot of the backlash from. Sure. Now, that's giving a lot of people the benefit of the doubt, Alex, because I think from a lot of people that I hear dissing CRT, they have a lot of racism in them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And they just don't want that taught. But I think that the pedal really hit the, or, you know, whatever, the rubber hit the road, whatever, when they started bringing children into it. Now, what I think of that, I think is a whole a different conversation. I think that you should tell children history and how things are the way they are now, okay? Why are things like this? Why did we see the Black Lives Matter protests last summer where the nation was in an uproar, okay? Mm -hmm. And people were angry and everyone was joining in, I mean, internationally. Why did we see that, Alex? Why did a white officer have his knee on a black man's neck for eight minutes and 48 seconds? I mean, what? So. Honestly, a kid would look at this and they would say, mommy and daddy, what's happening? And you can't have a simplistic answer. And so this is when critical race theory, I think, comes in. Now, you know, as to what you tell a, a young, impressionable um, white kid, I, I think, who means well, you tell them the history. And then you say, whites before you have been prone to act like this toward blacks mm -hmm. because of the society, because of it. This is something that you'll need to watch out for. Now, as to sure. if I, I don't think that they're a perpetrator, 
you know, in, in elementary school yet. Probably not. I'll, you know, benefit of the doubt, Alex. Um, sure. But this is what your ancestors have done, and this is what you're prone to do. So you should watch out. I would also I would also add some further contextualization. This is really more than you asked, but I would add some further contextualization and and, and tell them that the human propensity is that when you have privilege to take advantage of it. Alex, I woke up the other day, like looking for my privilege. Like I want to take advantage of you. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I need all the help I can get. I need every step, you know, step up I can get. So I'm not demonizing you for taking advantage of your privilege because that sounds very human, but you need to know that in your life, you will be strongly tempted to use your privilege to the detriment of others. And that's wrong. Sure. And so I don't even have a problem with that part of it. Um, but as far as telling somebody that they're that they're racist um, before they are and, and to demonizing them, I'm not with that. So I, I, I reject anybody that would do that. I don't think that's the that's the right way. But like I said, teach them history, teach the young white elementary school child history, what their ancestors have done. Um Say you're not necessarily a bad person, but you you would be prone to do this because in this society, you do have advantages over other people and it can turn oppressive very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I think calling people attention to the way that structures can influence behavior. um, Structures as well. Thank you, Alex. Structures as well. Yes, yes. And, And soon you will be. You may have a leadership position in this structure. You're always you're always participating in it. Um. But you should look at what this structure does, who's privileged and who's not, how you can change it, how you can make it better, how you can spread the privilege, you know, to to other people who are not privileged. I think that that's important to say. Great. Well, in in addition to not shying away from controversy, you also may be the Adventist with the most interesting anecdotes. Share a couple of your favorite factoids from all your work with uh, blacksdahistory.org. You're saying you're saying about race in general, or just what I've what I've gone through. All the yeah, you always just have really interesting facts, like you know, uh, connections to the moon, people doing really interesting, <laughs> Adventists showing up at interesting points of history, um, random, uh, okay. random, yeah. Yeah. What, 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 what are your favorite, uh, when you're at the potluck table, uh, and you're, you're ready to drop a bomb on someone, what are you, yeah, what, what, yeah, what are your favorites? Good, good question. And, and I, and I love this stuff. I, I love the, not the garish aspects, but you know, the really interesting aspects of, of Adventist history of, you mentioned the moon, Robert Sherney, who was a, an, a NASA inventor and a distinguished, you know, to use our, our king, our king message, not just a good Negro inventor. Uh, he was a superb inventor, uh, bar none. And mm. he invented buggy tires for to be used on the moon. Wow. And I believe Mars, help me out. Have they ever had a vehicle on Mars, Alex? Yeah, they have. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So this just, but it wasn't manned, right? It wasn't staffed, right? No. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. But so remote, he actually yeah. created the tires and then he created a, a commode, a toilet to use in outer space because astronauts need to use the restroom too. 
And, you know, you're using the restroom, you know, the stuff's going up. <laughs> you, know, you, you don't want that. These are very important things. You have to use the restroom. Yes. And so um, Robert Cherney, go ahead and Google his name, Robert Cherney, NASA, a, 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 a wonderful uh, inventor. And, of course, he is a black Adventist. Um, just talking more about King, all of the connections that Adventists have with uh, Martin Luther King Jr., one of them is a woman I interviewed, I don't know, about eight years ago. She is directly behind Martin Luther King Jr. during his I Have a Dream speech in the March on Washington. Wow. Directly behind him. Alex, whenever you see a video of King or a picture of King speaking, she's right there. And her name is Yolanda Clark. And I interviewed her and she was just talking to me about growing up an Adventist because her father was a minister in New York City. And she talked about how she protested with Adam Clayton Powell Jr. And she was involved in all of these efforts in, in New York City. And then she was invited along with her choir to sing at the March on Washington. And she ended up in sort of a, a, where's, a where's Waldo kind of way. It's like, how'd she end up there? You know, you just kind of wind your way up there. and She's right behind him and she's and she's cheering him on. So she heard Mahalia Jackson say, tell him about the dream, Martin. I mean, she was like right behind him. And if you watch, if you look at my article, who's that Adventist woman behind Martin Luther King? I I kind of circle her in in all of the pictures. Uh, Another thing that I have found interesting and your readers really need to check this out because this story debuted on Spectrum and it was 100 famous black Adventists. Mm-hmm. Now, how did such a small, relatively small, especially back in the day, religion have so many famous people? Uh, I'm saying a sector of this religion. Yeah. It's not even close to this with, with whites and Hispanics and Asians. Now, in Africa and the Caribbean, it's a different story. Because in the Caribbean, you have black, you have black Adventist heads of state. Like Patrick yeah, Allen in Jamaica and um, Andrew Holness in Jamaica, and you know, so so you know we're absolutely dominant there because we're like twelve percent of the population. Yeah, but Black Adventists, one of the greatest basketball players of all times, Magic Johnson, mm-hmm. um, was part part of his childhood. He was raised Adventist. The father of rock and roll, Little Richard. I mean, this is just crazy. You know what? Um, mm-hmm. Some of the greatest poets and writers, Richard Wright, mm-hmm. who's considered one of the greatest American novelists, Arnabon Timps, with the, yes, with, with the, the Harlem poet. Renaissance. Yeah. Some, the poet from PUC. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, represent the greatest civil rights leaders like Malcolm X. And Malcolm X was indeed an Adventist, you know, um, and his mother, who they're now doing work on. Uh, she was the Adventist in family unit. His father had been assassinated and his, his mother was an Adventist. And of course, Malcolm X talks about Adventists in his autobiography. Yeah. Sports, music, scholarship, civil rights, lawyers, um, actors, you know, my man, um, I kind of grew up with this guy, at least, you know, my parents, my, my dad, my uncle roomed with him, Philip Michael Thomas <laughs> of Miami Vice. <laughs> You know, who I just thought was so cool growing up. Alex, you know who that is? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just, you're so cool. And all of these sure. actors yeah. who are Adventists. Um, I tried yeah. called Quest. Of course, when I was growing up, rap was contraband. I couldn't have contraband in my, I couldn't have rap in my house. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we found ways to listen to it. Sure. And so um, a tribe called Quest would do the same thing. They couldn't listen to worldly music and they couldn't do anything from Friday to, you know, Friday sundown and Saturday sundown. Um, both Fife and Q-Tip were Adventists. Mm. Uh, Buster Rhymes was Adventist. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, just, you know, the Chaplin Senate and all this stuff. And yeah. so it's just across the board. That was, that was quite remarkable to me. So answer that question. What, uh, why, why, why is it, why is it such a, a sort of hall of fame there? And Jeez. is there something about Adventism? Is there something about the larger American culture that has, because of sort of white supremacy, it, you know, there, there just hasn't been yeah. that. Uh, what do you, what, what do you think? Excellent question. <laughs> One thing that I'll say uh, Alex, and this will this will take the wind out of some people's sails. I think that a lot of people who were famous, Adventism worked against them. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like like Fife and Q-Tip, they were like, you know, we couldn't go to the parties, we couldn't listen to whirling music, where where they could have gotten more of a of a fitness for their rap careers, right, Alex? Sure. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, um, um, Richard Wright was absolutely oppressed by his Adventist upbringing. He's like, I hated it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has like a lot of apoc- like Prince. Um, and Prince was raised, I just want to speak to all the haters out there. He was raised an Adventist. That's a fact. Everyone says, Prince was a whole Jehovah's Witnesses later, folks. I mean, come on, yeah. you know, you, we, we, mm-hmm. we live long lives. Um, and this is a fact, Alex, all of his biographers, uh, Toure, um, his, mm-hmm. his people, his, his uh, employees, you talked to them about how he was an Adventist. This is an established fact. And- I, I, I have a podcast coming out with Sarah Sultan from the Adventist oh. Musician Network. Uh, ta- and she's talking about her um, auntie who was at least um, friends with his mother and grew up with him and, and talks about a little bit in this upcoming podcast about Prince and why Good. he felt like he needed to kind of leave the Adventist church to pursue his musical dreams. Obviously it's in the context of her work with musicians. And, and, and this is one thing, this is one thing I think Alex that people don't acknowledge. I mean, I know people who I went to Oakwood with 20 years ago, 25 years ago, who claimed that they were, they were never Adventists and that they don't know anything about Adventists. And it's like, no, you were right at Oakwood with me. <laughs> like, 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 come on. So I many people dissemble. People dissemble yeah, on sure, number sure, of sure. I mean, I, I mean, I, How many things have you done in your past that you're ashamed of and you want distance from? Why would you want to identify as an Adventist? And yeah. so, you know, these are some of the questions. But um, I, I think to answer your question, that there may be something there. <sighs> Maybe the, um, the Jewish phenomenon, a, a lot of people have have grappled with, um, despite persecution, sort of like black people, why have mm-hmm. Jews so much distinguished themselves, um, in all fields and perhaps, you know, to get a very Adventist chauvinist answer, it, it, it's because of, you know, the, our good training and education, mm. um, that made us a step above. There, there it goes, Alex. That, that's about as yeah. avenue chauvinist as I'll get on this. <laughs> you know, but who knows? Who knows? 
Well, it's been good uh, talking with you. And just wrapping up, as you're looking at the state of um, Adventist history, of uh, kind of culture, um, if you're thinking about um, what's what's bringing you hope as as you continue to uh, publish really great articles yeah. on your website on Spectrum, um, what what's bringing you hope as a as an Adventist historian? Good question. Just to to sort of discuss your question and, and what I think is coming, um, I think that the future for Adventists is going to be like the Wild Wild West, mm. because the generations below us, Alex, and maybe even our own, I don't think have any belief or fealty to the organization, mm. the Adventist organization. Maybe you're saying different, um, no, but I mean to think of us as tithe paying, every week yeah. church going Adventists. Yeah like our parents and our grandparents, I just don't see that. You're speaking very prophetically right now. Yeah, but, but I mean, you, you concur, right? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know I mean, I, there's no way I'm seeing it. Um, and so when you had debates a couple of, hmm, maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago on regional conferences and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and combining conferences and things like that, I think that these days a sort of different debate would be had. What about organization, period? Sure. I don't even think people are there, like, you know, to even think about types of organization. I'm thinking, or especially when the organized leaders go against some of their most deeply held principles mm -hmm. around racial, around racism, around the role of women um, and, and, and a myriad of other areas. Sure. They're like, why should we? have any fealty to this when we have the truth you know they're they're already saying things like we're not religious we're spiritual sure so that should be the red flag that that means organization religion means organization <laughs> spirituality <laughs> means belief and practice and all that and, and you know and, and connection and all that stuff so with that said i think that Adventist historians and people in in your position you know with the Adventist forms and, and spectrum are going to really have to make some decisions about what what we're going to do as leaders. Because you know, Alex, that what we put out can lead. Whether we know it or not, what we produce can lead. And so we're going to have to grapple with really where we think our content should lead. Now, above all, be truthful. Above all, be yes. truthful. But let's say, for instance, with the, and this is really getting really really getting in depth in your question. Last summer with, with the BLM protests, mm -hmm. and I was talking a lot about our early pioneers and social justice. You can't take away from them that they were involved in the Underground Railroad. Ellen White was saying disobey the laws that are racist. They were castigating slavery. Joseph Bates, our founder and stuff, were starting anti-slavery societies. You can't get away from that. At the same time, I could have stressed how in our history, we were telling our members to not be engaged in the civil rights movement. <laughs> Alex, yeah. it's, about, it's about what you want to talk about. It's about your focus. So there's anything mm -hmm. you can talk about in our history. Um, and so I think that going forward, you and I and so many others are going to have to make some, some tough decisions about what we choose to talk about and how we choose to talk about it. 
I think, Alex, that you're always safe in letting all voices be heard. But you know that that's almost impossible. Yeah. And even when that happens, some voices will, will say things more charismatic and more eloquently than others. And so mm -hmm. that voice will gain me ascendancy. And so the only way that I can answer your very good question, I think, is to say that uh, we are leaders now. And we really have to look at what we're saying and, 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 and what we're bringing to our public. At the same time, I would really encourage your listeners, if there are indeed 22 million Adventists, Alex, which seems like a whole lot, mm -hmm. if there really are 23 million Adventists around the world, can we start supporting Adventist media? Yeah. You know, Spectrum <laughs> and Black History should never have any problems with having enough money or whatever to do something. <laughs> there are 22 million of us. So yeah, sure. our social media and stuff should have at least half of that, 10 million, 11 million followers and all that stuff. So, That's you know, right. let's, let's support Adventist media. Amen. Well, thank you so much for your time and, and putting so uh, much uh, work into our community. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Alex. I say the same for you. Thank you. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive.